Welcome to the podcast for First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights. These are the audio versions of the sermons preached each Sunday. I hope you enjoy. So our scripture reading this morning, our first one comes from the book of Joshua, chapter 1, verses 6 and 9. It says, Be strong and courageous, for you shall put this people in possession of the land that I swore to their ancestors to give them. I hereby command you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened or dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second scripture reading comes to us from Isaiah 63, verses 7 through 9. I will recount the gracious deeds of the Lord, the praiseworthy acts of the Lord, because of all that the Lord has done for us, and the great favor to the house of Israel that he has shown them according to his mercy, according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he said, surely they are my people, children who will not deal falsely. And he became their savior in all their distress. It was no messenger or angel, but the presence that saved them. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. The word of the Lord. Well, Merry Christmas. Soon to be Happy New Year. I can't believe it's about to be 2020. When I was growing up, that was like Jetsons times. And I do not have a flying car, nor do I have a robot maid. Well, I guess I have a Roomba. Does that count as a robot maid? A little bit, I guess. I'm a little bummed out, but it's okay. That has nothing to do with my sermon. I just wanted to talk to you guys for a little bit. (laughs) On October 15th of this year, 2019, my wife and I went and saw a concert at the United Center. We saw Sarah Bareilles. Uh, Sarah, we are on a first name basis, uh, is honestly one of my favorite artists of all time. I have all of her albums on my phone and I listen to them pretty regularly. I used to be embarrassed by this love. I mean, her first album came out back in 2007 and I was but a, a wee 23 year old. I mean, I couldn't tell my fellow 23-year-old bros that I liked Sarah Bareilles. They, they might tease me. <laughs> anyway, throughout the next 12 years, my love for her music only grew uh, as she released more albums and even a Broadway musical called Waitress. In fact, when I got word that she was going to take over the lead role of Waitress for a period of time on Broadway, I hatched a plan. I wanted to see the show, and I wanted to see her in the show, so I bought my fiance a present. <laughs> we flew out to New York and saw the 2 p.m. showing of Waitress, and then later that night we flew back. It was an amazing show. Ellen cried a whole lot, and I totally didn't cry at all because whatever, I don't care. <laughs> I don't cry, you cry. So when I heard that Sarah Bareilles was coming into town for her new album tour, Amidst the Chaos, I thought to myself, hey, maybe Ellen needs another present. (laughs) So I bought us tickets. On the way there, Ellen asked me what songs I was hoping that Sarah would sing. 
There have been so many good ones, I thought, how could I possibly choose just one? She was hoping to hear Gravity, and I decided I would like to hear Bluebird or I Choose You. We found an awesome parking spot right next to the UC uh, for like $10, and we made our way inside the arena. We found our seats in the 100 level and got ready for the concert to start. We were seated in such a way that there was a railing right in front of us, and we were seated over an entranceway to the floor. So there, there was no one seated in front of us, giving us an amazing view not only of the stage, but the entire arena. After the opening act finished up and there was a 10-minute break, Sarah came out, and she enraptured the crowd with stories and songs and playing of piano. It was awesome. It was truly a wonderful concert. But in the middle of it, there was a moment that happened. One singular, solitary moment. All of the lights went out, except for one low spotlight on Sarah. The entire arena that was moments ago covered with lights from the stage and the ceiling was now pitch dark. I could hardly see three rows over anymore. And that made me think that sometimes in life, we come to a moment where we are encased in darkness. A moment where we cannot see our way forward, we cannot see which direction to go, and thus are stuck, standing in the darkness, feeling completely alone. This is where the Israelites found themselves in Isaiah 63. At this point in Israel's story, the people have been allowed back to their homeland after their exile in Babylon. That seems like a time for celebration, doesn't it? Well, not quite. If you look a little deeper in the verses around our scripture today, we find out that not everything was peachy keen. They were facing many frustrations in their attempts to rebuild their society, rebuild their lives, their community, their structures. Isaiah 63:18 says, Your holy people took possession for a little while, but now our adversaries have trampled, trampled down your sanctuary. Isaiah 64, 7 says, There is no one who calls your name or attempts to take hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have delivered us into the hand of our iniquity. And then verses 10 and 11 in the same chapter says, Your holy cities have become a wilderness. Zion has become a wilderness. Jerusalem, a desolation. Our holy and beautiful house, where our ancestors praised you, has been burned by fire, and all of our pleasant places have become ruins. The Israelites have gone back to a land that is no longer their home. No longer the place that they heard stories about, no longer the place of their ancestors, but instead a wasteland devoid of life, devoid of hope, and it seems devoid even of God. We can see in chapter, 20, in chapter 64, verses 1 and 2, that they even call out to God to stop ignoring them. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down, so that the mountain would quake at your presence. 
as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil to make your name known to our adversaries so that the nations might tremble at your presence. It is in this space, this hopeless, desperate, abandoned space that we hear the voice of the prophet recounting God's faithfulness, where we hear stories of mercy and abundant love recounted, where we hear how God's mere presence redeemed God's people and that God picked them up and held them. It is in these dark times that recounting times before when things have looked bad can be helpful. Helpful to remind us that we have been through tough times before and been able to come out on the other side. Helpful to give us hope that we can do it again. That we can make it again. Helpful, yes. But sometimes that's not enough. I used the lectionary today to choose the scriptures. And there's another story that usually happens uh, on this Sunday that preachers preach on. And it's always the Sunday after Christmas. And that's the story of Herod. For those of you who don't know, the story of Herod goes a little bit like this. Herod was the king, and he didn't really like competition. If you were here on Christmas Eve, you heard from Alex how Herod even killed his own son because he felt like he would be a threat to his power. He had a bunch of wise guys or magi come to his place and say that the star in the sky meant that a new king had been born. Uh, and he's like, oh, cool, 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 cool. Uh, so just let me know if you find this new king, because I would really like to meet him, obviously planning to kill the child. So after the Magi did find Jesus and Mary, they gave them the gifts that they had brought, and then they went home saying, you know what, let's not go see King Herod. He's kind of creepy, and he wants to kill a kid, so let's, let's not do that. Herod figuring out that the Magi never came back, got super mad. So he sent instruction to have every child in and around Juice, Jeru, uh, nope, by Bethlehem, that's where Jesus was born, I got it, <laughs> around Bethlehem to be killed who was under two years old. Now the story makes sure to tell us that Joseph was warned in a dream to go to Egypt before this happened. So Jesus was safe. But if I'm honest, to me, that does not wipe away all of the pain and suffering of hundreds or maybe thousands of mothers losing their newborns and toddlers. These are two very strange stories to have the Sunday following Christmas. A story of Israel going back home and having it be a wasteland, and the story of Herod killing hundreds of babies. And yet, they can seem appropriate, too. As Barbara Brown Taylor writes, while the first Sunday after Christmas may not seem the best timing for any of today's readings, there may be no better day to confront the truth that neither God's presence nor Christ's birth rids the world of horror and death. 
And any gospel that seeks to avoid the realities of darkness, murderous political leaders, dead children, and wailing mothers, and the like, is not a gospel big enough for human life. We live in a world that is not just wrapped presents and Christmas trees. It is a world full of tragedy and sorrow, grief and loss, pain and hurt. It is a world that Jesus was born into. It is the world that the Israelites suffered through, and it is the world that we still live in today. And sometimes we can feel like the darkness is too much. So where was I? Ellen and I are in the United Center. Sarah Bareilles is on the stage, illuminated by a single spotlight. The rest of the arena is completely dark. Sarah starts to sing the song Satellite Call, which is a song about someone not feeling alone even though they feel like they're far away from Earth, letting someone know that they're not alone, but in fact there is someone who loves them. And then something starts to happen. Now, I'm old enough to remember when artists would sing slower songs, people would go in their pockets and pull out their lighters, light them up, and wave them in the air. Do you guys remember this? <laughs> All right. Now, I don't know the last time you were at a concert, but the modern-day version of this is people get out their cell phones, they turn on their flashlights, and they wave those in the air. The lighter community has really gone down. <laughs> Do not invest in lighters, is what I'm saying. <laughs> little by little, person by person, cell phone by cell phone, the arena starts to fill up with these little lights. Now, in a giant arena that can house 23,500 people, one cell phone light isn't going to do much. But when there are hundreds or even thousands, suddenly the arena is lit up. I can see people across the arena. I can see groups of people waving their lights and smiling and singing along. I can see all of the people around me again. The darkness of the arena is still there, but I can see that I am not alone in it. I found myself overcome with awe and reverence, and I got my cell phone out, not to shine my flashlight, but to write down, little lights can make a big difference. I am sure that I do not need to tell you that darkness is plentiful in the world, so shine your little light. There are still leaders in the world who care more about power than people, so shine your little light. There are people who feel stuck in place because they cannot see their way, so shine your little light. You may feel like you're not doing a whole lot. You may feel like the darkness is too big, the world is too vast, that the pains are too much, but you never know who can see your little light and be inspired to shine their own or heal because of it or take the next step because of it, or finally see that they are not alone. So shine your little light. For those who have lost a loved one, just being present with them is shining your light. 
Sharing your food or your wealth with those who are less fortunate than you is shining your light, calling just to check in and let someone know that they're not alone, holding someone while they grieve, sticking up for someone who is being mistreated, letting someone know that they matter even though the world tells them that they don't, finding shelter for someone who has none. These are all ways that you can shine your little light in the darkness of this world. Even when you don't think anyone will see it or appreciate it, shine your little light. Because we have a God who wants to draw exactly that out of us. In verse 8 of our scripture today, God says, Surely these are my people, children who will not deal falsely. This paints a picture of a God who is endlessly hopeful in us. A God who, even though Israel has turned their back on covenants and essentially abandoned God before, still believes in them to be God's people. After every sermon, we say what we believe. Brothers and sisters, I am here to let you know that God believes in you. So shine your little light. Verse 8 shows a God who is willing to assume the best in people and willing to risk being hurt by that assumption. This vulnerable God calls us to be vulnerable as well, to shine our little lights in the world of darkness, knowing that there will be those who chastise the light, those who are angered by the light, those that will attack us for the light, but we will shine it anyway. Because we know that when we shine all together, we can light up a world and make it not so dark. Amen. Thanks for listening. And if you want to learn more about First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights, please visit www.firstpresah.org for more information on service times, directions, and to learn more about the First Pres family of faith.